Our first lesson for this uh, seventh Sunday, at, or this uh, eighth Sunday after Pentecost from Ecclesiastes, the first, but mostly the second chapter. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill and must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of his heart? with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment, For to one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. This is the the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And we can, the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may be thinking, wow, Pastor Walther got this idea from the news this week, especially the lottery that was sold, the lottery ticket that was sold here in our state for $1.2 billion. 
Wow, that's going to change some lives, definitely. And there's certainly a lot of people, I'm sure, that wish they could have been the winner of such a great prize. But our lessons today teach us some important things about that. They teach us about work. They teach us about wealth and whether or not God is in either of those in our lives. Our approach to wealth or our approach to work can be unhealthy or healthy. It can destroy and separate us from God, or it can bless, not only uniting us, but many others, helping to unite many others to God as well. Our main text here is from Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2, written by Solomon. Let me give you a little background to Solomon, the son of David. He's uh, known for a lot of things. Perhaps the two most memorable things is that he is reported to have been the wisest man in the world and, ironically, at the same time, the most foolish man in the whole world. An example of his wisdom is found early in his reign when two mothers came to him with a dire problem, a dire dispute. During the night, one of them had slept upon her child and smothered that child, so she surreptitiously switched the children. The mother of a living child knew her child, and she knew what a foul thing had been done to her, and so she took her case before the king, before King Solomon. And Solomon listened, and then put on great display his wisdom. When he called for a sword and said, all right, this will settle it, I'll cut the baby in two and give one part to each of the mothers. Whereupon the mother of the living child cried out, no, let her have it. Solomon immediately knew who the real mother of that child was. But his foolishness is also noted by the fact that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And these women in his life led him astray. They led him away from the Lord, and it caused him innumerable problems. It was not only a problem of women, but just about everything that Solomon touched uh, came back to haunt him and hurt him and caused him all sorts of problems, mainly because he had turned away from the Lord. He says in chapter 2, verse 10, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. So this is a guy who had the means, the money, and everything to try it all, and yet he found it all lacking and unsatisfying. Yet in the end, he found this to be nothing but vanity, and as he says repeatedly in his letter, his book of Ecclesiastes, a grasping for the wind of vanity. But he found his way back to the Lord, and that brings us to the main verse for tonight. Nothing, he realized, is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. When God is connected to our life in every way, but particularly tonight, our working life and uh, the fruit of our working life, our wealth, when God is connected to all of that, God blesses it, and it turns out to be a very, very good thing. I want to leave you with four key words tonight, four key concepts 
as we kind of uh, fill out what that means. What does it mean to have God connected to our work and to our wealth? The four key words are dedication, thankfulness, stewardship, and spiritual rest. Dedication. Well, I sang it already in our verse between the two lessons from Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Dan Doriani is a professor at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, and he wrote a book about work. And in that book, he said that, that when you talk to many people about their work and you ask them about their work, they often begin the sentence by saying, I just do this or that, or I'm just this or that. I'm just a truck driver, or I'm just a dishwasher, or I'm just a teacher, or I'm just a stay-at-home mom. That's because we look at our work in terms of really only one thing, and that is the fruit of it, the outcome of it. And we all know there are some people who have jobs that are, uh, create tremendous amounts of wealth for them and popularity and notoriety and things like that. But for the rest of us, we're just, right, average or below average maybe in some cases. Doriani goes on to show how that is really not at all the way to look at our work, especially if our work, no matter what it is, is actually dedicated to God. Like Paul says, whatever you do, do it as to the Lord and not to man. Do you think the Lord would appreciate you washing dishes or you driving a truck or you taking care of little children at home? He certainly, certainly would. He tells a story about uh, uh, a man who owned a small restaurant, hamburger, pizza kind of place. This man was honest. He paid his workers fair wages. He made good food that a lot of people came to enjoy. He mentored a lot of young people who are entering the workforce for the first time and really inculcated in them a, a work ethic. The proceeds of all of his labors went to his family, to his church, and to his community. Everything was connected to God. So is he just a small business owner? He's much more than that. He's a servant of the Lord in the work that he does because that work is dedicated to the Lord. And when it is dedicated to the Lord and connected to the Lord, no matter what you do, it's great. It's a good thing. Dedication. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. In this 20, one of his 2012 campaign speeches, President Obama said something very controversial. Quote, if you've got a business, you didn't build that. Now, that became very controversial, but honestly, a little bit taken out of context. What was he really talking about there? Well, what he was talking about is, is you didn't build it all by yourself. Maybe if he had said it that way, it would have been a little bit easier to take. But the way he said it kind of, kind of left the idea that, no, you didn't do it. The government did it for you. But it is true. No business can survive without the benefit of roads that were built by somebody else, workers that were educated by somebody else, protected by police and firemen that are paid by everybody else. And so this argument developed between government and business. Who gets the credit? 
And the problem here is that as Christians, we take, we take a, a, a great step back away from that entire argument, and we look at that and say, you, both guys, you got it wrong. Psalm 115 beautifully states, who gets the credit? Not unto us, Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. God made the universe. God made us. God made everything and he supports it and he allows everything to work together. He gives us all these blessings. Uh, And it is with these blessings then that we are able to serve God. So when our work and our wealth are connected to God, there's always this deep sense of thankfulness and appreciation to the Lord who has made this all possible. Dedication, thankfulness, and of course, stewardship. The Bible never condemns wealth. It does condemn the love of wealth and the misuse of wealth. There are number of famous rich people in the Bible. Abraham, Job, Solomon, the wise men at Christmas, Joseph of Arimathea, who you might say freely loaned his tomb to Jesus. Uh, He thought he was giving it to him, but Jesus only needed it for three days, as we all know. And then, of course, people like the businesswoman Lydia that we read about in the book of Acts. Many others. There were centurions. They were not the poorest people in the world either. There were servants, government servants. A treasurer is mentioned in Paul's letter to the Romans. So in the Bible, we find rich people and poor people. But just as that psalm that we sang already uh, this evening, the Lord speaks to all, high, low, rich, poor. If you love money... And if that's really what's most important in your life, then you've got some serious problems. On the other hand, if your work and if your wealth are connected to God, you will, be, you will have this one thing in common, that all the, the people I mentioned just a moment ago have this character, two character traits in common. One, they had a deep and abiding love for God. And the second one, they had a kind of indifference to their wealth. I meet people like this to this very day. I've met many people like this. And what amazes me the most about these people is the more indifferent they are to to their wealth, the wealthier they seem to get. On the other hand, I've met a lot of people who are hungry, hungry, hungry for wealth. They're always scheming, conniving, trying to make a fast buck in some way, some investment, something right around the corner that's going to make them rich vast majority of these people never get rich. And the few that do always end up like Solomon. They always end up realizing it it didn't matter. It was vanity. It was uh, dust in the wind because you can't take it with you. It's not connected to anything of eternal significance and it will all go to naught. John Wesley preached a very famous sermon about uh, the value of a soul and, and about wealth. And this is the three things that came out of that sermon that I, I think are very interesting. He told Christian people that they should earn as much as they can, save as much as they can, and give as much as they can. I could go into that last part in a few more details, but I'm going to save that for my Friday YouTube Bible study, which I invite you to tune into. 
Because that one is very personal, it's very individual, it depends on, on your individual situation, but it's a great thing to think about. Giving as much as you can. What does that look like? How does it work? But that's Christian stewardship. When you even begin asking that question yourself, good things are bound to happen. So we have dedication, thankfulness, stewardship, and now last of all, spiritual rest. In our new member class, Thursday night, we finished our review of the third commandment. If you want to talk about work and the role of God and how he's connected to your work, this passage is by far and away probably one of the most important of all. Uh, The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Of course, we we always shorten it. We use that shorter version, but it is actually the longest of all the Ten Commandments. For the Lord goes on to tell Moses and all of the people of Israel and all of this, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the Sabbath day is a holy day, a day of rest. That's what it literally means in Hebrew. On it you shall do no work. Nobody, you, son, daughter, manservant, maidservant, even your animal or a stranger, somebody's visiting you. No, I want you to remember me at least one day out of the week. I want you to remember how I created the world in six days and then I rested on the seventh day. When we think about Sabbath rest, we shouldn't primarily think about going to the beach, although that's not excluded from this, but really it's about going to church. Because as we go to church, as we gather together as God's people and to hear his word and to be with him, in this way, God inculcates all of these great truths in us so that we can actually enjoy his creation and we can enjoy the blessings that he gives us. This came out in my stewardship theme that I used last October and November from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich, Paul says, in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Well, some key words here. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings. God wants us to enjoy the blessings that he gives us. But it goes on. Out of that enjoyment comes something very good. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. That ties beautifully into the parable of the rich farmer, the rich fool. When you look at that parable, you can see God's nowhere in it. He keeps saying, I, all, my, my, my land. Everything's all about him and his land and and, and yet Jesus carefully points out the land produced plentifully. <laughs> you know, God was the one behind all of this, and, and yet he never acknowledges that, never gives thanks for that. He, he, he's completely undedicated to God. He has no stewardship. He talks about storing it up for his soul and for his soul alone. And, and then he talks about rest. Yeah, eat, drink, and be merry. That kind of rest, but not spiritual rest. Not a rest of the soul in the truths of God's word and in his salvation. And so Jesus gives that stark warning. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. And what will be with these things that you have worked so hard for in your life? 
they will go to somebody else like Solomon discovered and there will be nothing for you. No eternal life. Solomon struggled. And you'll notice in the words that I read from that lesson one and two of Ecclesiastes, he mentioned several times, under the sun. And this is really what Solomon finally discovers in his life. He was looking for happiness under the sun, that is, on the earth. But when he began to peek above the sun, when he began to look beyond the universe to the Lord who made all of these things above the sun, you might say, then things began to come together for him. He began to see the good in this life. He began to see it is okay to enjoy your blessings that the Lord gives to you, but to realize that this all comes from the hand of the Lord. So conduct your life accordingly. Work with God in mind. Store up your treasures with God in mind. Worship all the time while you work. Dedicate your work to the Lord. Give thanks. Be a good steward. And always, always seek the spiritual rest that God gives us through which he gives us treasures for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.